Hello and welcome to the first formal episode of Mark Pearson's Property Profits. Now, we actually changed the name slightly. You might have noticed that from the first introduction episode because there is already a Property Profits podcast. So we're, it's now Mark Pearson's Property Podcast to stop any confusion and hopefully stop us getting sued in our first couple of episodes. <laughs> so this... Sponsored by Baron and Cabot, the company that I work for, www.baroncabot.com, the only company in the UK to do a 112-point due diligence checklist on every development. And this particular podcast, we're going to look into the very start of our journey looking at property, uh, whereby we look at well, what part of the country do we want to buy into, Following this, as, as we go on through the podcast, we'll start to look at due diligence and that sort of thing. So we'll go through more specifics. There won't be too much due diligence in this episode, just primarily because we are looking at areas and research. Now, the biggest issue that I come across when speaking to clients and looking at cities or particular parts of the UK to invest in is a misunderstanding with how city growth works. Now, cities tend to grow exponentially rather than linear growth in the sense that the more people that move there, the faster property prices grow, faster property prices grow, the more jobs there are, more jobs there are, more people come, property grows faster, rent goes up, etc., etc. And that, and that um, speed of growth increases over time. And, and what often happens is, when I speak to a, a, a client, and we're all bad for it, is that they look at a city, a city that they may be familiar with, might have grown up in, or know the city quite well, and they say, well, there's an oversupply of property in the city. Um, they're, they're building more properties than they ever have. And and really, that's often a very good sign. Um, you, you really wouldn't want to be investing in a city that's doing worse than it ever was. Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't a hard and fast rule. There is oversupply and uh, under a, a low demand. So if there's a higher supply than demand, it's naturally one of the first corners of property investment that fails. So we want to make sure that the supply is lower than demand, but don't assume straight away that just because there's a lot of building going on and more building than you've ever seen before, that that isn't just how this is moving forward. No doubt, if it is a city that your family and your own parents uh, lived in that same city, they probably thought the same themselves in the 90s and 80s and the rest of it. So all I'm trying to say is don't just disregard a city because of those, those factors, because you're seeing a little bit more than you ever have. Uh, an example of this, when I was studying valuation or you know going into economics and what have you at university, um, I, I majored in property and economics. My economics teacher, who was an, an incredible chap, told us that if there was more than eight cranes in a city, that would mean that there is an oversupply. Now, those rules have changed slightly. Uh, you must bear in mind, at that particular time, we were working with fiscal policy in the UK, which didn't work very well either. So uh, much of my economics degree doesn't really hold much water anymore. But that, that very nature of oversupply 
we can't just get from a gut feeling. Really what we have to look for is actual real raw numbers. And that goes really for all of our numbers within investment. While it's easy to sort of make an assumption about areas and it's very easy to look at something and say, well, that's not working. And I think the first and most important thing is to try and work as much as possible with real numbers, whether that's historical figures, whether that's government figures that have been released in terms of numbers of properties needed in a particular year and also the number of properties being built, try and utilize as much of these figures as possible. Now, really, one of the three key points to look for in a property growth is supply and demand. So we are looking for, we don't, we certainly don't want an oversupply. We need a, a, a high demand of uh, population, a growing population in a city and an undersupply of property, which in a number of major cities, we have got a quite critical undersupply of, of good quality property. And then we can also look at supply and demand, not just overall of a city. Within a city, we see almost mini markets within a city. So again, if you think of your own city, you'll find that the area just right next to the financial district or the, the major business area is the most expensive property. And this works its way out. There are exceptions, obviously. There's little pockets of mansions and what have you outside of the city. But if we're looking at cities and primarily as an investor, you'll be looking at cities because that's the highest proportion of buy-to-let tenants, the quickest way to get a property back on the market, the highest occupancy rates that you can get tend to be in cities. When we look at those, we see the inner ring road is, is tier one in bigger cities, slightly smaller cities than they might not have built out to the inner ring road of a city. And then it, within the financial area, that it'll go out in rings in terms of value. What this ultimately means in terms of supply and demand is in cities such as London, obviously, and then Birmingham and Manchester are very quickly getting to that point. The inner ring road of a city, there's, there's only so much land there, and that land within that inner ring road will continue to grow in value because that's where people want to be. It's the closest part to their jobs, but there's, there's no more property being built or there's, there's less property being built. So naturally, there's a supply and demand issue there that's slightly different to, for instance, outside of the, the core city center. And these things can be taken into account as well as obviously price and, and growth and all the rest of it. The other part, part that makes property go up in value or keep its value is access to finance. So again, while that's not one we need to cover in a huge amount of detail at the moment, one thing that you do need to make sure is, obviously, that properties are easier to buy when interest rates are low. So at the moment, we have some of the best interest rates that we've ever had. So although some people are nervous, it's, it's an incredibly good time to, to buy using a mortgage. And on top of that, what we want to do is we want to make sure we buy property that can be mortgaged, not only by you, but also by the person that, you, that comes to buy the property off you. That's our exit strategy. And we'll be going through both of those details later on in, in uh, subsequent podcasts. One of the absolute critical elements of looking at a city to invest in, however, or a particular area of a city to invest in, is the average salary to the average property price. Now, this is something that for whatever reason, gets overlooked a lot by investors and also by experienced IFAs, private wealth firms, and the like. But it's something that I really need you to look at 
on every single property investment and understand how the average, uh, average salary works against average property price. To put this into context, have a look at the London market, a market that most of us are very fond of. Most of us made our money in the early days out of the London market. Some people did incredibly well out of it. A number of my clients obviously made their millions through the London property market over the last 15, 20 years. And, but it's a perfect example of average salary against average property price. And London now is you know, looking at 12 to 14 times average property to average salary. This becomes an affordability issue. So once properties start moving up in terms of average values, unless wages continue to grow at the same rate, there has to be a point whereby the market will slow down, where there's just not enough people with enough money to be able to buy those. Regardless of foreign investment, the market is propped up by British people buying properties for themselves to live in. So this is something that I look into an awful lot for my clients is I always want to understand what the average salary is in an area and what the average property price is going for and ultimately then where our property that we're looking at sits into that. This works twofold. It, it makes sure that the market, even if we're looking at historic numbers, we know that the market should continue to grow or at least can continue to grow. So, so long as all the other factors are in place, we know it can grow. There are markets there whereby it's hitting, it, we're plateauing, we're getting to the, the top end of affordability. So regardless of if every other factor in the UK was perfect, if salaries don't rise, then these properties won't significantly increase in value. Now, if we look at areas such as Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, hotspots for a lot of in investors at the moment, we're still on you know six to seven times average property to average salary. So we've still got a significant amount to grow. Me personally, I like to stay below eight, nine. And I think that with my own investments and what I advise to my own clients is that once we start to get up to the 10 times or nine times property uh, average value to average salary, it may be time to start to cash those in if we can get a good offer on those properties. I think that some cities, potentially Birmingham, will get to the, the multiples that London has hit. But after that, I, I can't see very much growth at all. So when you are picking your city, reference that, bear that in mind when you're looking at the property prices. Every city outside of London at the moment is there or thereabouts, it still, it still has a little bit of room for growth, some more than others. There are some, potential, there are some towns which may struggle a little bit, but this gives you a prime example of why the London property market slowed down. If you want to see any more examples of this, do give me a, drop me an email, mark at baroncabot.com. There are plenty, and, and you can look at some of them yourself as well. Having a look around the, for instance, the um, commuter towns and cities to London, you'll notice that some perform significantly better than others, even though their distance to London is very, very similar. Uh, you'll see some towns... For instance, uh, the same distance away as Reading, but haven't performed nearly as well as Reading did um, when the, we got the upgrades on the rail lines. That, that's because Reading has the second largest salaries outside of London. So their home market is being able to prop up their, their home property market as well as those commuting to London. You can look at other areas, you know, potentially Bedford, Luton, which didn't do quite as well. Now, when I explain this to some people when we do talks and what have you, 
some misunderstand this and say, well, no, uh, those towns and cities do better because they have more valuable properties, the properties are bigger, et cetera, et cetera. But this is wrong. Ultimately, the reason more valuable properties are built is because people have more money in that area and can buy the more valuable properties. And although we wouldn't see this necessarily over the course of 18 months or so, over the long term of a town or city, this will become true so long as the average salaries in that area will stack up the property market. So please do not disregard average salary to average property price whenever you look at an investment at all. Count it as important as supply and demand when you're looking. And this way you'll be able to factor in growth and also it'll help you out with your exit strategy when as and when you want to sell the property. Naturally, affordability is an issue when looking at a city. So if I'm looking at a particular area for either myself or one of my clients, you start to get an understanding of what you can buy in each particular city. But if you're new to this, and it's your very first time choosing a town or city, just have a look at average property prices for one beds, two beds, and you can start to get an understanding of, of what sort of areas you can look at. Although there's always going to be bargains in areas, there's going to be overpriced stock in areas, it'll give you a good understanding that if you're deciding to, say, buy in Birmingham, you want to have a, a broad range of properties that you can buy into. It's not always buying the cheapest property. We want to buy the property that will give us the biggest return. Therefore, we want to have the money available to have a good comparison. Even better, if, if you can compare a couple of cities, you'll be able to negotiate some of the best deals on property investments. Now, much like people, <laughs> the um, a city's track record is often a good indication of what it's going to do in the future. So one of my major uh, things that I look at when deciding on a city to invest in or when we're looking at sort of cities we want to start investing in over the next year or so within the business, a major thing is to look at historical sold house price figures. Now, you want to be able to break that down by one beds, two beds, three beds, you know, um, semi-detached, terraced houses, etc. So if you do want that information, please do contact us and we can, sh we can share that with you. We have uh, research papers which include all of that information going all the way back to 1995. As far as I'm aware, this, that, those research papers are unique to Baron and Cabot. I don't believe other companies have them. We do offer them for free though, so please do contact me, mark at baroncabot.com anytime that you need a copy of those. No strings attached. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna try and sell anything to you. That's just so you can uh, you can get a copy of those. But yeah, let, looking at the uh, track record of a city, of particular towns, even down to granular levels such as postcode area, is useful because it gives us a good understanding of well, look, what's our what's our low level growth or even loss? What's our biggest risk? And then what's what's the highest it's grown at? And then what's our median? And we can look over three, five, ten. 15 years. Anything more than that is probably unreasonable or unrealistic to, to get much useful information out of. But we can go all the way back. We can work out the growth figures. We can include in, if we go back 10, 15 years, we can include in major worldwide crashes. So that gives us some really good indications of, okay, well, it lost 5% during the, during the crisis of 2007. Can I, can I afford to ride out two years, that's, that's how long it took to, to be able to gather, get that money back in, in the value of the property. 
make, making sure I'm not overexposed to that level. Uh, on the upside, it grew at whatever, 8% last year. Uh, and the year before, it grew 6%. So we might be able to, on a, on a good year next year, we might get another percent out of that, 8% out of that. So, so looking at these historic performance figures, I love doing it. I, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to uh, looking at spreadsheets and, and sort of looking for trends in things. Again, we're not a we're not a stockbroker. You know, you're not trying to you're not trying to work on month to month trends, anything like that. You should be looking at a property investment over a minimum of three years anyway, and really five to ten years to get the maximum out of this. So again, we can we can look at quite long distances and then see, very easily look at our high, medium, and low levels. But also when we can use those for when we look at a property, we can then decide or assume the value of that property without even have to, having to hire a, a valuer. We Ultimately, we will do that later on. But for the early stage, we can actually pick out well, where does that property sit? Is it the, at the very top of that market? Is it the most expensive property in the market? Which is fine, so long as it's a luxury product. Is it at the very bottom of the market? In which case, you know, what's going on with that? Why is it being sold? Um, is it somewhere in the middle? And, and we can really get an, an understanding of where that sits. Ultimately, that's what a surveyor does anyway. Uh, they look at market comparables and then have a little look around the property and work out whether it's slightly better or slightly worse or a lot better or a lot worse and do their valuations to that level. If you don't want to get those tables from myself, there is you can do that through um, sold house prices. So there's a government website where you can look at sold house prices, and that goes go, goes back to 1995. The only problem with that is it doesn't break it down by the type of property it is, so it's difficult to compare it. It'll say a flat, but it won't say how many bedrooms it had, so it can make things life a little bit tougher. So now we know how the town, city, or postcode has performed historically. We also want to be looking at what's going on in the future. So again, a real shoe-in for future growth is transport links or infrastructure changes. So these, these are massive, massive giveaways that we're going to see some sort of growth. I mean, realistically, I think sometimes the information these days is almost too readily available. I think that 20, 30 years ago, if you'd heard in a cafe or a restaurant, a local councillor on the table next to you talking about a brand new train line being built at a very certain location, I think you'd be very quickly going to invest in a piece of land as close to it as possible. I mean, nowadays, that information is just very readily available, and it's almost lazy not to have an understanding of what's going on in a particular city if you are actively looking to invest there, or at very least not having a, a broker who has that information to hand. I think at the time of this podcast, when I was looking, there is maybe eight tram lines currently being um, planned for major cities in the UK. And a tram line we know historically using various cities throughout Europe, and Lloyd's have done a really good report on this if you're particularly bored one evening and want to read it or particularly sad as I am and the report goes into details of the the growth on average of a property within walking distance of a new tram line and you're looking at 10 to 25 percent the the higher figures being properties that had less infrastructure around them in the first place and the and the lower sort of growth being the core city center properties but Either way, these are, these are huge numbers, and these are average numbers over multiple cities throughout Europe showing growth. 
Now, you can relatively straightforward find out about tram lines that are going on in the UK or new train extensions or network rail extensions or improvements and simply go on those government websites and learn a little bit about exactly when these are going to be delivered, the spots where they're going to be delivered, check out for the tenders. And when you're comfortable that it's going to, it's actually been put forward, then actually go go ahead and, and actually t- purchase yourself a property in and around those areas if it matches all our other criteria. So if we pick the right city, we pick the right price, the correct previous growth, and we've got a good, great opportunity such as that, then, you know, you you really should be looking at that as as massive potential. The other one is HS2. Now, again, you know, there's a lot of information going on about HS2 because it is the largest spend of a government in uh, history, uh, certainly of our government in history. And naturally, this gets questioned in Parliament all the time. But at the moment, this is going ahead. HS2 is going ahead. Now, don't buy something just because of HS2, but if you can buy something that's exceptional, ticks all the other boxes, and you've got a few choices, get one right near to a HS2 station, because that's going to be huge. This is like a town being on the old West Railway route or what have you. I mean, these opportunities, that's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and yet investors will occasionally, and more often than not, novice investors come up with excuses. Well, you know, what if it doesn't happen, you know? The, the reality of it is, what if it does? And so long as we're not just gambling on that, we actually purchase great properties anyway that are going to show some growth anyway, and we back the HS2, then if it doesn't happen, fine. We get a, we get a medium growth property. And if it does happen, we'll have the highest growth we, we've ever seen in any of our properties. These are the properties whereby in 10 years' time, you'll turn around and say, oh, I wish I'd bought that. Uh, and, and it's silly not to because we knew the HS2 was coming or we knew the tram line was coming. And, and these, are always the, these are always the properties that, that people do look at. And this goes back to the very start of the, uh, this podcast whereby people think something's already happened. You know, the, the, by the time that um, you're looking back on something and saying, I wish I'd bought that 10 years ago. Well, in, in actual fact, you would have never bought it 10 years ago because the people that bought it 10 years ago are the ones that did this sort of investigation work. They weren't looking at something and, and taking a gut feeling or licking a finger and putting it in the air to get some sort of understanding of what's going on. The people who bought in areas that you thought were unfashionable or you thought, you know, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't live there myself, these people are looking at growth areas. They're looking at what's going on and buying in and then everybody else five, ten years later goes, oh, I wish I'd done that. Prime example of this, which just always gets used in the industry and it, it really is a, it's almost a bane of, of your life if you work in the industry, is Shoreditch. And uh, every developer calls every location in the UK now the Shoreditch of the North or the Shoreditch of Yorkshire or whatever it happens to be because it was such a, it was such a good story. And, and it, effectively, if you see anything advertised as the Shoreditch of, you can generally get an idea of what it, what the area is going to be. It's going to be full of um, panel beaters and sort of an industrial area, a little bit grimy and you know maybe a bit of graffiti around and what have you, but with a few trendy people starting to live there and, and a real expectation for growth. Uh, and that's what happened with Shoreditch. Again, you look at that place, you know, many years ago is is almost you'd be nervous to walk through there, and yet now it's it's seen one of the you know the 
it's got some of the highest value properties in the UK. So again, you look at these sorts of uh, gentrification, and really, we all, we all should have known that had happened. You know, there was a new train station that went there, and the train station got put in place. I think just before a major, you know, major crash, major economic changes, people would have thought you were mad to buy, you know, a, a couple of apartments in Shoreditch 20 years ago, just as the train station was being built. Yet, what happens? Train station's built, becomes a great area, or becomes an easily accessible area for for sort of the trendier parts of London. People start to move there, bars start to open there, vegan cafes and all the rest of it, and suddenly, over a number of years, the, the values go through the roof, they triple and quadruple. Now, on top of the things like train lines and tram lines and, and infrastructure like that, also keep an eye out for luxury supermarkets. Look out for what we call the Waitrose effect in the industry. I'm not sure who came up with that. It might have been one of the newspapers in, in truth, but... What actually the Waitrose effect is, is that when a Waitrose or another luxury supermarket, an MS food or something similar, comes to an area, anybody within walking distance of that, and that really up to two kilometers, um, their property values go up and in increase significantly. Now, there's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario with this. It's whether the particular luxury supermarket has seen an area's demographics growing, you know, and they have a they have an awful lot of more resource than we do to look at those sorts of areas. They look at an area growing, they see the demographic increasing, and they pick it um, for their luxury supermarket, or whether it's because the demographic's already in place. It's difficult to really see. However, if you see a Marks and Spencer's food being built, or a Waitrose being built, or something of a similar ilk, then do look at buying a property near there, or so long as it matches all of our other criteria. Conversely, if it's a very, very low, low value supermarket, this can have the opposite effect on property within the area, so do bear that in mind. A cursory look over the political situation, just to gather whether the town or city is stays with the same political party can also be useful. A city that keeps with the same political party generally keeps up the same infrastructure and the, the plans of infrastructure 10 years ahead of time will generally go ahead. There's many cities where they've had the same political party for 20, 30 years. And again, that's just an extra tick in the box. I, would, I wouldn't hold it down as an absolute core principle, but it's one to look at. The other final thing that you'll be looking at as an investor is the yields of a city. The bigger the city, the lower the yield. So yield is a, a direct reflection of risk. So the higher risk property, the higher the yield. So do not expect a top performing city center apartment, luxury apartment to give you massive yields and massive growth. There is a bit of a trade-off. If you are looking for a core city like Birmingham, Manchester, for instance, you'll need to go slightly out of the, the core city center to get slightly higher yields anything within the city you're going to get lower and that that goes for Leeds as well other cities that you'd consider as smaller than those uh, than London Manchester Birmingham Leeds this uh, Reading etc the smaller towns and cities will uh, deliver a higher yield but normally slightly lower growth so look that's our whistle stop tour we did go into a little bit of detail there so I don't want to take any more time on this particular podcast I do want to answer any questions that you have though, so please do send your questions across to mark at barroncabot.com. You'll get me there. 
and anything that you do have at all, there's no such thing as a silly question, please just ask me and I'll send that back. I'll also try and generate an FAQs from that. Even if you're listening to this podcast in a few months from now, you know, more than happy, just just ask the question, I'll come back and we can add it into later uh, later podcasts. Hopefully that was helpful for you and enjoy your property search.